Uh, Psalm 25 is what we are opening up to this morning. I'll give you a second to turn there. As, as we get into this psalm, I, it it really, if you're reading the psalms through, uh, here you get to a new section of the psalms. Um, at Easter, we looked at Psalm 22, 23, and 24. So we kind of continue a thought process here coming out of Easter. But these psalms from uh, Psalm 25 to 39 primarily record David's personal testimony, um, his personal experience. But they also kind of look forward to a future when a a godly remnant of Israel um, is in trouble. And the psalms are a little more personal, maybe a little more quiet, a little more intimate. I felt today that this psalm could speak to us where we are. Um, these, these psalms in this section are applicable to the past, present, and future. Uh, so it doesn't necessarily just apply to before. It could apply to now. Um, but some of them may not be familiar uh, through that section. But Psalm 25 is very similar to Psalm 34. And it may be assumed that they have the same author. Uh, Psalm 25 says of David. Psalm 34, I don't believe is signed um, here. But as we look at that today, you know, uh, we're, you know, it's concerning David, but, you know, it doesn't say anything. So they've assumed that they're written by the same person. It doesn't matter. We don't know when this psalm was written, but the best I guess is sometime during the Absalom Rebellion. It's a psalm that belongs as much in the prayer book as in the hymnal. It is a very pointed psalm. There's a theme in it of guidance, and David's circumstances seem to be pretty bleak, pretty dire, and he hardly knows which way to turn. So he kind of turns to God here. Um. Abraham Lincoln said, I have often been driven to God by the overwhelming sense that I had nowhere else to go. So as we look at that, kind of think through it in that mindset that David's kind of in that same um, mental state here. And today I'm not so much going to preach as I'm going to do a commentary in some ways on this psalm. Uh, but I think that sometimes this is how we can look at the word. Uh, verse one, Lord, I appeal to you. Or unto thee, Lord, I do lift up my soul uh, is another translation. Um, lift up my soul. Um, really, I'm going to read the first three verses here, actually. Uh, Lord, I appeal to you. My God, I trust in you. Do not let me be disgraced. Do not let my enemies gloat over me. No one who waits for you will be disgraced. Those who act treacherously without cause will be disgraced. Um, Darkness, you know, lift up your soul is kind of this thought process here. You can lift up your soul. Why would we lift up our soul? Well, so that God's light can penetrate our darkness. That's part of the conversation here. Verses one through three, we kind of see an appeal to God um, and 
the appeal to God in the prayer group, we've been doing names of Christ or name the names of Jesus. Uh, we've done a few of the Jehovah names. We have not done this one, and I don't intend to do it here, but we kind of have to for this psalm. But it's Jehovah Elohim, um, the God of the covenant and the God of creation. So we want to make sure that God's promise and power is on his side. And so the psalmist is really calling here saying, you know, I need your power. I need your promise. I need you with me. It almost um, reminds you of Martin Luther's clash with the Roman church um, on his way to the city of Worms, where the great debate was to take place. His friends feared for his life because the power of the Holy Roman emperor was arrayed against him. He was condemned already, and if he entered the city, he would never leave it alive. And his response was, I trust in God Almighty. Well, David prayed, I want you to protect me. Never let me or any of your friends be ashamed. And then in verse 2, we kind of see that it's a psalm that reveals David's dependence upon God. One day, um, Israel also would reveal this. And the time will come when the remnant of Israel will find themselves in a position where there is no one that they can call upon but the Lord. And I think it's good for us to come to that place also in our own lives. I, I truly do. I feel like that it's a good place for us to come. And I feel like many of us are there. We feel like there's nowhere we can go but to the Lord today. Um, the things going on around us in the world, the struggles, the hardships, the hurt, the heartache, there's a lot going on. And I have been very broken through this, uh, going through the struggles, going through the difficult days, going through the hardships, um, not necessarily the struggle of what some are going through, but the hurt, the heartache. Um Asking God to break your heart for what breaks his is not a smart thing to do sometimes unless you can take it. And I did that. And um, I'm thankful for doing that because I do want to be broken for a broken world because I want to be able to pray. I want to be able to be there. I want to be able to lift up. Um, although it does come with a price and that is struggle. Um, but David then says unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul? When he says this, he's getting right down to business. He's he's not just uh, talking. He's maybe not even talking at all. This might be his soul crying out. The soul, of course, being the whole personality, body, soul, and spirit. And he continues, oh my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Have you ever been in a place where it seemed that everything was a failure and there was nothing and no one that you could turn to? Have you ever been in that place where everything was so hard that you you literally just cried out because there was nowhere else to go? Um, you got to that point where crushing defeat, where where the defeat was coming and uh, the only thing you could do was either turn to God. Maybe it's been in your business life or your home life or church life. Um, he then cries out, let not my enemies triumph over me. 
I mean, is that a prayer we pray today? Let not my enemies triumph over me. And then verse three, David pleads with God and says, let me not be ashamed. Well, why would he be saying that? Let me not be ashamed. You know, or he's crying out because the idea of his enemies triumphing over him is so terrible. He says, no one who waits for you will be disgraced. Let me not be ashamed. Let none that wait on you be ashamed. That is that nobody's prayer will go unanswered. David is crying out and saying, please answer these prayers today, God. Please answer the prayers that we pray. He says, let them be ashamed with which transgress without cause. Let them be ashamed who transgress without cause. Where do we heard that word before? Forgive us today our trespasses. Um, forgive us today our debts. Forgive us, you know, if we transgress without cause, um, we're, we're kind of talking about um, those who are wantonly treacherous, those who are willingly sinful. You know, let them come to their senses and admit their wickedness and shame. Um, Today, we are living in an age of unusual violence. Um, we hear constantly of, especially right now, but violence in all forms. Right now, we're talking riots. We're talking police brutality. We're talking um, violence upon violence upon violence. Um, before, you know, we, we talk about drug dealing, we talk about, um, in some locations, mugging, um, we talk about terrorism, we talk about what what should the Christian response be to these things, and the psalmist here does what Jesus too has told us to do, and that is pray for the enemies. We must pray for the enemies. The next two verses, verses four and five, Give us three basic principles of guidance. Uh, let me read those first. Make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. Excuse me there. There is something in this for us today. He says, make your ways known to me. So he wants to be led. He wants to be shown. He says, teach me your paths. He wants God to guide his steps. Well, then uh, verse five tells us two more. One, he is willing to be led. He says, guide me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. And then he's also waiting to be led. So he's, he's wanting, willing, and waiting. Those three words, he says, show me your ways, teach me your paths. There are two ways that that life can go. We can go God's way or our way. Um, God gives us a chance. We can walk down our path of choosing where, you know, Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the end is death. What a glorious thing it is to be able to call out to God and ask him to show us the way we should go. 
David here is wanting to be led. David is wanting to, he, he's wanting, he's willing, he's waiting to be led. And David's prayer here echoes a prayer of Moses um, almost in a similar way. When Moses had ascended the mountain of God where he received the Ten Commandments and instructions from God, Moses had come down from the mountain only to find that the people had lapsed in their judgment, I guess is a good way to word that. Um, they had fallen into idolatry. They were dancing. They were naked. They were singing. They were dancing around a golden calf. God told Moses to stand aside so that he could pour out his wrath upon the faithless. But Moses played the part of mediator. God was willing to destroy. And Moses stepped in and he said, no. I mean, he didn't really say no. He stepped in and, and mediated. And God's wrath was turned aside, and it was a time of um, confusion for Moses. He took the tent of testimony and and the place where God met him with him and carried it outside the camp. And there God in grace talked to him, and the Lord spoke to him. And he, he spoke to him face to face as a man speaks to a friend. And Moses poured out his confusion. Exodus 33, 13 says, show me now thy way. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, I've, sometimes I pray, show, show me your glory. It's a similar mindset there. It's show me, Lord, your glory. But he, Moses didn't move without God. He, he didn't dare make a move. No angel, no matter who the angel might be, Gabriel, the, the angel, or Michael, the angel, we don't know. What we do know is that it had to be God guiding and leading or there was no point in going. David then prayed and he wanted to be led. And when God sees that we really want to be led, he will lead. When, when God sees us actively seeking his leadership, um, and that's just four. Verse five, then he's calling out and saying, lead me in your truth and teach me. Lead me in your truth and teach me. The psalmist is asking God to show him the way, to teach him the way. And it leads us to say that this is what is known as an acrostic psalm. Um, that is, it is built upon the Hebrew alphabet. Each verse in this psalm begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. I didn't talk about it having 22 verses, uh, but it does. And so it begins, each line begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. But in English, we miss it. So he says, lead me and teach me. If you utter this prayer in all sincerity, wait for the answer. I mean, be sure that it will come. Like that's how true this prayer might be for us today. And if we're not yet told what to do, wait until we know for sure, for the answer will come. David was willing to be led. He he like you know he 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 called out to God and God does not hand out, out brochures like you can get from a travel agency. God does not do things in that way. God says follow me and I will give you an exciting experience. Follow me and I will take you down the road that you need to be led on. Follow me and I will be the the leader. He says, follow me. I will guarantee you good health. Follow me. 
no matter what. I will make sure your needs are well taken care of. And um, David says, lead me in your truth. Teach me. Lead me in your truth. Teach me. Give me a heart that calls out to you. Teach me. Lead me. These words just continue to show up here. And it's such a beautiful thing to think about. David is saying, you know, lead me in your truth and teach me. Again, if it's an acrostic psalm, it starts with each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Again, a reference to the word of God like we talked about in Psalm 119. So, therefore, it's almost a reference to God's word. It's almost like God is saying, if you will get into my word, I will teach you. If you will get into my word, I will lead you through it. If you get into my word, David was wanting to be led and he was willing to be led. And, and God is using his word to lead him. On thee do I wait all day. God's guidance for us is that God is never in a hurry. Many times he will make us wait and wait before finally making the path clear. But that is exactly where most of us break down. We are impatient, so we act without God's guidance, and then we complain when things go wrong. How many of us have done that before? How many of us have sought God's guidance, have wanted God to do things, have wanted God to lead us out of a darkness, but then we get impatient? Folks, the place we are at right now in the world today what we are seeing happen around us today in the world is this. I hope you'll hear this. I hope you'll see this. And I hope you'll focus on this today. We want the answer now. Everyone wants an answer now. Everyone wants to wake up tomorrow and all of this be done. Everyone wants us to get through this now. Not tomorrow, not two weeks from now, not six weeks from now, but I cannot stress enough that God will answer in his own time frame. Um, it's Satan who says it's now or never. It, it's Satan who guides us by impulse. God guides us while we wait. God cannot lead us if we are rushing and hurrying and dashing here and there and everywhere and reacting to the pressure that is being put on us. Maybe we need to stop and do as David did and want God and, and be willing to listen to God and be waiting to be led by saying, Lord, protect me, guide me. And it brings us to verse six, and then he calls out to God again, as we've seen before. He's crying out to God and he's saying, remember me. Lord, remember me, the compassion of your love and your, your, you know, your faithful love for they have existed from antiquity. They have, they have existed from the days of old. They've existed from times past. The tradition of God's word has existed and he has those answers. He's speaking of the kindness of God, but also of his loving kindness. And it's difficult to distinguish between the two for us. but. You know, there's a, 
a definition I found that a little Sunday school girl gave. And she said, when you ask your mother for a piece of bread and with butter on it, and she gives it to you, that is kindness. But when she puts jam on it without you asking her, that is loving kindness. Um, I don't know if I could describe a difference in those two better because it's like kindness with something extra. And the reality is I don't know how anyone could read the Psalms, study the Psalms, really look into the Psalms without seeing that God has a plan and a purpose for the nation of Israel. And and as he continues through this story, uh, it reminds me of Isaiah 15, 16. Because David was not the first one to experience the Lord's loving kindness. Um, Isaiah 15, 16 says, Remember your covenant love that has been there from the beginning. Uh, I think that it makes a, or, you know, we're we're seeing that statement that's here. And, and that's in verse 7 is what I meant to say. Um, 25, 7 says, Remember your covenant love because it's been there from the beginning. Uh, Isaiah 15, 16 makes a tremendous statement. It says, I've put my words in your mouth and hid you in the shadow of my hand, stretching out the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth and saying to Zion, you are my people. So the psalmist is burdened with the sins of his youth. He lifts up his soul to the Lord in earnest prayer and petition. And, and then the distress of the spirit really deeply saddened, just torn down, is calling out in these moments. But out of his loving kindness, his loyalty to, to David, out of his compassionate goodness, he is already richly experienced in all of this. And the psalmist eyes look up to the Lord as he acknowledges the Lord is the great teacher and the leader, the savior of his life. And he cries out and says, oh, my God. I trust in thee. Those are the, the first words. Lord, I appeal to you. David knew better than most that sin in your life makes it impossible for God to lead and direct. David had sinned and he knew that that sin, if unrepentant, left it impossible for God to do anything. And so David's crying out to God here and he's saying, do not remember the sins of my youth. Please just let them go. Let go of my sin. Let go of my past. Let go of the things that are holding me back and forget them. God virtually knows how all young people want to try everything once. Um, that's neither here nor there. I just am saying all young people typically want to try everything at least once. And how can we argue with the discovery that they find something um, that maybe we have missed because they love to experience those new things? But as we look at this, you know, here David is calling out to God and he's he's confessing his sins and he's confident that they will not be forgotten, but they will be forgiven. And then he prays to God for goodness and for mercy. And God is rich to to apply. God is rich to give. And in both of those cases, God does provide. And, you know, it's almost like Psalm 23 at the end. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Verses 8 and 9, however, here, 
almost seem to not be part of the prayer, but they could also be a combination of words that are being put in the prayer um, to remind God again of who he is in the eyes of David. David was an authority in his early days, and there are few people better fitted to instruct us than David. But God's goodness is no more abstract. Um, you know, the way that that works is, it says, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he will teach sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the Lord's ways show faithful love and truth to those who keep his commandments and decrees. Um, knowledge begins with the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. David here is occupied with God's goodness. He's occupied with the presence of God. And then it kind of gets down a little farther in there. And we think about the words, the meek will he guide in judgment. Um, I mean, he's really wanting to, to use those that were there. But he leads the humble in what is right and teaches them the way. Verse 9, uh, if we have our minds made up, about who God is, about then there's no point in asking God to guide us. We will rebel when God's will is made known. A man um, convinced, or a man that is convinced against his will is of the same opinion uh, still, is an old statement. It's a cliche statement, but it's true. Man, a man uh, convinced against his will is the same even still. Um, if we're to be guided, we have to submit. We have to be submissive, or as David puts it, we must be meek. So as we look at this and we think about this and we really break it down as to how it applies to us, David sets forth the priorities of guidance. A person must be saved by the Lord and submissive to the word of God if he knows anything at all of God's leading. God refuses to play games. He refuses to be a pawn in a game. And then as we continue on here, verse 10 says, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as to keep his covenant and his testimonies. Verse um, 10 kind of changes the mood. Uh, so eight and nine not being part of the psalm really makes sense in some ways. But verse 10 kind of flip-flops. It changes the mood. And we go from this mood of distress to this mood of praise and exaltation uh, to the psalm as the psalmist praises God as the righteous Lord for those who are faithful to his covenant. And by faithful here, um, he means loyal. He means the congregation is loyal and good and upright, upright in character. Those who keep his covenant and his testimonies who are also in the um, word, they're, they're in the world, they're humble, they're ready, and they're in the word in some ways. Uh, maybe a little needy even, if we want to go that route. Not necessarily in a bad way, but they want to learn. They want to be taught. They want everything to work out. So the paths of Christ are mercy and truth. Verse 11 then says, For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. So here's where we ask the pardon for the sin, a profound confession of sin and of faith 
and he cries out to God as a pardon. He wants an answer. He wants to be forgiven. And his whole life comes apart after his sin with Bathsheba. Everything seems to just crumble. But God says he will not even hear the person who cherishes iniquity in his heart. So if we want God to lead us, we must make confession. We must be willing to open up about who we are. Not that God doesn't know, but because God deserves to hear it from us. It's impossible for us to hear what God is saying if we do not remove unconfessed sin from our lives. God forgives us for Christ's sake, never for our sake. And you and I do not deserve that forgiveness. We never did. We know that God forgave David. And if we trust in Christ, he forgives us too. I mean, we could even get to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, 24. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Um, this for, their, for thy name's sake uh, statement is a reminder of how much the Old Testament writers counted on God's name. It's his character, his truth. It's everything about him. And I could go through a number of scripture that I believe would show you that. But then we get into... As we move on, verse 12, what man is it that feareth the Lord? The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The right attitude toward the Lord is essential. This was a prerequisite of Israel's guidance in the wilderness. You had to be schooled in this other thing, this other mindset, this other um, food for thought. And, you know, God led the people by fire by night and by cloud by day. And any Israelite could know they could know they were in God's will simply by looking toward that cloud, looking toward that opportunity. They would know whether they were in God's will. It was like a mirror. There was that cloud that was the mirror to them. If they looked into it, they could see. When it moved, they moved. And when it hated, when it halted, he halted. And uh, those stops were divine as well. The Lord is is um, willing to lead us to, you know, he's willing to guide us and show us uh, just as clearly as if we just continue to read the scripture that is there. Verse 13 and following, we, we really need to st- to note that in 13, there's this more accurate, his whole being shall abide in what is good for him. And I I don't want to read the other because I want us to focus on this. His whole being shall abide in what's good for him. That is in the goodness of God aimed at him. His descendants will find that the whole world belongs to him. Jesus quoted this verse as um, we say it in Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that's what God's goodness does for his people. His soul shall dwell at ease. This indication of um, the darkest, saddest hour we find the home in the home of God's goodness. Verse 14 then continues the story. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him and he will show them his covenant. And as we continue through that conversation, talking about us, um, not having hope in anything but the real guidance of God himself. 
and seeking out the great secrets of the Lord, which are contained in God's word. There's no situation we can face in life that is not covered by some specific word of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. Can't even imagine the secrets of the Lord that are waiting to be revealed to his own son, to his own child, to his own. And so when David was writing this psalm, he was in trouble. He was in desperate need of help from God. And he's crying out, essentially saying, look, you know, I get it. Um, protect me. The discussion of the, prof of the priorities here, uh, the principles and the prerequisites of guidance was no more academic exercise. Uh, David needed help. And in the closing verses, he made that abundantly clear when he asks not for the biblical answer. Uh, mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Absalom's pot, plots were to cleverly and, and cunningly um, succeed in winning the hearts of the men of Israel. And then they go into battle. David is you know, turn unto me and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. David is alone. He's struggling. He's going through this time. And all he wanted to do was be able to be there and do these things. And he's he's having to cry out for mercy here. He's having to cry out for mercy in this time. And um, this I need you, Lord, is something that I think we find ourselves saying at least 10, 15, 20 times a day sometimes, unless God turns his face to us in grace, um, we remain unable to keep our eyes toward the Lord. Now, doesn't mean we should give up. Doesn't mean that we should go this other route. It means that um, we must obey what the scripture says. Uh, you know, unless God turns his face upon us, we remain unable to keep our eyes on him. Unless his face is upon us and watching us and guiding our steps, we will be unable to teach um, anything more than the words that are put up. Um, you know, one, one translation of the book of Psalms here, one translation of this psalm is that lonely and humbled mentality of Psalm 38. Um, David long used to be the national hero and discovered in Absalom rebellion just how much his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah had alienated the goodwill of his people and he lost the respect of the youth. Do you know anyone that's lost the respect of an entire group of people? I'm not going to get in the obvious here. I'm not going to get into the arguments that are being made um, one way or another. I am going to say David had lost that respect from the youth in the community. So as we look at this and we continue on, is a sin that corrupts health, marriage, social justice. David is crying out for help in this sin. He's crying out for help in this opportunity. And what we see here is that as we get to verse 17, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. Oh, bring thou me out of my distress. Adultery, murder has, has, has really kept me from being what I could be. 
and then you get that whole the most unkind cut of all. You know, the, the troubles of David's heart were enlarged and he had sin in his heart and he must pay for that. Um, and David goes back to the Lord, verse 18. Consider my affliction and trouble and forgive all my sin. Don't just forgive some. Don't just barely show life. Forgive all of my sins. And David is beginning to get troubled here with this terrible past of his mind. I think we all would, really, if we looked at it. He was long since forgiven by God, but yet still his heart hurt. The hearts of men hurt. And when we are in trouble, when we are going through difficult times, we are likely to confess our sins. That's just the way it is. When we confess our sins, God forgives and he forgets when we accept our sins, God gives us opportunity to be different. Um, this is so hard not to just really jump into today. Um, David escalated. He evaluated himself. He escalated it in front of God. And he, it was serious, but he doesn't lose sight of God. He remains sane and he remains focused. Verse 20 says, Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. Keep my soul. Um, David cries out for God to do something that he can't even do for himself. Guard me and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. Guard me, rescue me. Keep my soul, as this translation puts it. And then as we go on, you know, 2 Timothy 1.12, you get the psalmist responding here, and he's saying, you know, I can't keep my covenant with you, God, but you can. And Second Timothy one twelve it says, And therefore I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I am sure, I'm persuaded that he is able to guard that until that day. What has been entrusted to me? What has been entrusted to me is my heart. What is he saying? He's saying, here's my heart, Lord. It's all I got. You you gave me peace. You gave me comfort. You gave me that heart. No matter how dark and desperate his situation has gotten, no matter even that its roots are found in his sin, he decided, I will trust God. God forgave his sin and God's integrity and uprightness would now be his preservation. But David was more than an ordinary citizen. David was a king and so was his plight. His plight was involved not only himself, but his kingdom. He tells us in closing how he planned to evade his plight. Let's just look at those verses real quickly. Verse 
21 and 22, he says, May integrity and what is right watch over me, for I wait for you. God, redeem Israel from all its distresses. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. In petitions which breathe the spirit of trust, he prays for God to pay heed to him. To take note of the nature, the extent of his trouble. And then this request of the soul itself, he petitions for forgiveness, his innermost spiritual need. It wasn't his only need, but it was the deepest. was the deepest. And then we get to this request where he's crying out. And although it was the deepest, like I said, it was not his only need. It wasn't the only thing he needed. And while he was still facing danger from his enemies, he then prays for rescue and protection. And in the mood of personification, the character qualities, which he now stands to need integrity, Integrity and uprightness, he prays for their protecting presence in his life. May integrity and uprightness uphold me, watch over me. And then that last verse, redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. There are two Hebrew words that are translated redeem in the English Bible, the there's a word which means to redeem from bondage by purchase, which is the way Boaz redeemed Ruth. There is also the word which means to redeem from bondage um, by power, to redeem or release or, or liberate. Um, that's what David seems to use here. The kingdom had fallen into the hands of Israel, or a rebel, excuse me. The kingdom had fallen into the hands of a rebel, and the popular movement against the establishment had been swift and strong. But here is David. He's crying out to God, and he's crying out for God to liberate Israel. He finds himself driven back on God as the only solution to this embarrassment that he's facing. God's the only solution for his life. He finds himself closing the psalm and he's saying there are times when we fell miserably in this trust with God. God has given us a sacred trust and we have failed. The disobedience in our own lives is reproduced in others' lives and often in an arrogant and aggressive way. So what are we to do here? What are we to do? And I, and I don't mean to get emotional. I just think about this and, and I'm literally taking deep breaths because there's so much more I want to say. And I've said a whole lot. A lot more than maybe I should have.
I just can't. I mean, what are we to do? Are we to fly back to God and just pour our hearts out to him and be like, I'm so sorry, God, I failed you. Help me redeem those enslaved because of my failures and, and put them by your side. And and honestly, the way this psalm ends, it's almost like with radio. We sign on and sign off every morning. Well, it's like David is signing off. He hides a personal signature in a fervent prayer of the redemption of his people. And what we see happen here is that this becomes a prayer for the nation of Israel. And for the day of trouble, um, years ago, a man got up to give a testimony at church. He was a deacon of the church, and he said it came to pass, and everyone looked puzzled. So the preacher asked him, how is it that a particular verse means so much to you? You know, he got up to read a a scripture that was the most meaningful to him. And he said it came to pass. The deacon then answered and said, when I am in trouble, I always get my Bible and I read it came to pass. And I thank God my troubles came to pass. They did not come to stay. It may not be an exact interpretation of those words. Contextually speaking, it might be broken, but it expresses the truth of Scripture. And that is simply this, that Psalm 25 is saying, Redeem Israel, O God, out of its troubles. Redeem Israel, O God, out of the pain. I'm sure you see that the primary integration for the nation of Israel, we certainly can also pray. Um, that prayer for ourselves. Have you ever prayed the Psalms? Have you ever prayed the scripture? Have you ever prayed something like that? I hope so. I hope so. Um, As we close it this morning, we get ready to take a break for communion. I encourage you, read Psalm 25, start to finish, pray Psalm 25, Take an opportunity to get to know God's word. Read Psalm 34. You know, read Psalm 37. 37 is a really good one. Um, But, you know, Psalm 34 is almost identical to this. But as we close it out this morning, I ask you this question. Are you like David? Are you finding yourself in a place where You need to be saying like that deacon, it came to pass. It came to pass. It came to pass. Did your trouble come to pass? Uh, Your struggles come to pass, you know, as you put that out there and, and people see it. The things that we go and we share, the struggles, the hardships, the hurt, if we hold on to it, but we'd never remember those words. It came to pass. Let it go. If something is major, if something's not causing you pain anymore, and you can forgive yourself and ask God for forgiveness, then let it go. Let that life go. Let it be lived. Let it um, not stir conviction within you.
live according to the will of God and let it go. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Let's uh, take a moment to pray and then we will go to communion and we'll return with the communion service right after our prayer in a small break. Father, we thank you for allowing us to come into your presence today in this way. Whatever the need might be, Lord, I pray. I pray that we will be adherent to you speaking in us. That God, whatever struggles we might face, whatever things are going on around us in the world today, we would be strong to recognize you in all circumstances. I lift it up to you today. I pray that you would just give us a heart of stone. Turn our heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Lord, give us a heart that is hopeful for you. Help us to recognize in your word that there's so much more we can do. Lord, we give you hope just as you give us. We thank you for the sacrifice. We thank you, Lord, for your words here in the psalm that say, guard me and rescue me, because it reminds us to call out to you. It says, do not let me be put to shame. Lord, you won't. Your word stands true and it stands tall. And we have the opportunity right now to see you move in a mighty way. Lord, help us to see that time. Help us to be present in that time. Help us to love one another the way that you love us. Help us to be good human. Help us to stir love instead of hatred. Help us to be loving to one another. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We lift it all up before you now in the holy, precious, and wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And again, we want to thank you for tuning in for our services here on our uh, podcast page. Thank you for listening and hope you had a blessed time with us. You can get more information on Newland Christian Church at newlandchristianchurch.com or go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash newlandchristianchurch. And until next week, we hope you have a blessed week in the Lord.